It was early on Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene, Salome, and Mary, the mother of James, headed out to the tomb in order to anoint the dead body of Jesus with spices. It was those same women who had been there two days earlier witnessing Jesus' death on the cross and his burial in that tomb. So faithful, these women, who had been with Jesus back in Galilee. Oh, how they now longed for those days in Galilee where Jesus was still alive and with them, teaching them, healing them, feeding them, calling them by name to come and follow him. They'd had such hope back there in Galilee. For there they had come to believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah who at long last would make everything right for their people. They had had such hope. But now those hopeful days in Galilee seemed like little more than a distant dream. And so they made their way through the cemetery towards the tomb. Their great hope now buried behind a great stone. And as they went, they began to wonder who would roll that stone away for them, for it was far too large and heavy for any of them to move. Uh, until then, they hadn't really thought about what they would do when they got there. That's often what happens when tra tragedy strikes in our lives. We, we kind of just numbly go through the motions, not really thinking about what we're doing, just hoping that all the stones in our lives would just go away. You know about those stones, don't you? For certainly we all have barriers of one sort or another in our lives that we just can't seem to move and that prevent us from getting to the life that we want. Perhaps the name of the stone in your life is cancer or financial struggles or addiction or grief. Maybe it's the, the child you can't seem to fix, or the marriage you can't seem to fix, or the body you can't seem to fix. Maybe it's just the path that your life has taken that is now so far from the dream you dreamed in times gone by. These stones, they they stand in our lives like indictments, proclaiming to the world our inadequacy and helplessness, unwelcome reminders of our limitations and our mortality. And we think if we could just get these stones out of the way, then everything would be okay. Of course, there is no stone in our life as great as that of death itself. And in a life full of uncertainties, death is the one thing we all know we can count on. In fact, it practically sets the agenda for our entire lives. From the moment we are born, the clock starts ticking. And so we try to eat right and exercise in order to stay healthy and live longer. We wear seat belts in the car to protect ourselves in accidents. We spend a fortune on doctors and medicines and procedures and products in order to fight disease and aging and stay alive. But we all know what's coming in the end, don't we? We're just trying to keep it at bay as long as possible. 
But ultimately, all we're really doing is anointing the dead. After all, none of us gets out of this life alive. Death is the great equalizer, the one absolute constant in life, and it's the one thing we all believe in. You know, in all my years of ministry, I've never once had a single person come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, I've really been struggling with something lately. I'm just having a hard time believing in death. Nope. Death is sort of a, a north star out ahead of us. It's always guiding our path, pulling us inexorably toward it. We may not like it, but we know it, and we expect it. Death is the, the solid ground on which all of us stand. The one stone in our lives we know can never be moved. And death always gets the last word. So I'm sure you can imagine the women's surprise when they arrive at Jesus' tomb and discover that that stone, that, that, that symbol of Jesus' death had already been rolled away. It probably must have felt as if the ground began to shake beneath their feet. And as they ran unsteadily into the tomb, they encountered yet another shock. Jesus' body was nowhere to be seen. Instead, there was a, a young man dressed in white clothes, an angel, sitting there alone. And the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. Would you like some tea? No, he didn't say that. But he might as well have with his casually as these impossible words rolled right off of his tongue. I mean, he might as well have said that up was down and down was up. That the moon now brightened our days while the sun came out at night. That Alabama and Auburn had joyfully agreed to exchange mascots and team colors. And then the angel said to them, Now go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And how did the women respond to this incredible, unbelievable, earth-shattering good news? They hike up their skirts and hightail it out of there like frightened schoolgirls. For terror and amazement had seized them. You know, sometimes in our lives we encounter things that, that go beyond the limits of our reason and experience, that, that do not fit in with our basic understandings and expectations of life. And when this happens, we always experience chaos and disorientation, which is often rather frightening. For when what we have always believed to be real and true in life suddenly turns out to be otherwise, it can shake us to the core, even when it's a good thing. And the one thing we all know to be real and true and final is death. But what if? What if, as Easter claims, death is no longer the end? What if this enemy which in many ways has defined our lives since the moment we were born, no longer has the last word in our lives. 
And what would it mean for how we lived them? Wouldn't it change the way we viewed our, our families and our jobs and our stuff? Wouldn't it change the way we spent our time and our, and our energy and our money? Wouldn't it change everything? Well, if Jesus Christ truly is risen from the dead, then everything has already changed. For that great stone called death has been rolled away, and the risen Savior, the Lord of creation Himself, is on the move. And if that doesn't scare you just a little bit, then you don't understand Easter. It certainly terrified the women. When they heard this news, they went racing out of that cemetery and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And those are the last words written in the original Gospel of Mark. It ends not with joyful reunion and celebration and victory, but in fearful silence and failure. But what kind of an ending to a story is that? It practically ends mid-sentence. Uh, what happens to Jesus? Hollywood would never make this mistake. And yet, it's not really so different from our own lives, is it? After all, none of us lives in a Hollywood movie, and when we commit our lives to Jesus, they don't suddenly get wrapped up nicely with a pretty bow happily ever after, do they? No, they're messy and confusing and often painful and, and frightening. We too often wonder what this good news might mean for our lives. We too still live in fear of that stone called death. We too often live in faithless and fearful ways more than we would like to admit. But we're not alone. Even these women who had been with Jesus in Galilee and funded his ministry, who stood by so faithfully and witnessed as he died on the cross, who came to care for his body in the tomb, even they failed Jesus that morning, at least at first. We all do. None of us is the model disciple. Like the twelve, we all abandon Jesus in the garden when following Jesus becomes too difficult too uncomfortable. Like Peter, we all deny Jesus with our words and our actions when claiming Him as Lord comes into conflict with our desire for self-preservation. Like the women, we all fall victim to fear and silence when we ought to be bold and speak in the name of Jesus. And yet, Jesus doesn't trade us in for better recruits. Instead, He just comes and He he picks us up and dusts us off. He looks us in the eye and says, All has been forgiven. Come, follow me. You see, our failure is not the end of the story. Not my failure and not your failure. Remember what the angel said to the women. Go, tell the disciples and Peter, that's you and I, by the way, that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. You see, our failure 
is not the last word. There's still more of the story to be written. And Jesus is inviting each one of us to play our part if we will look for him in Galilee. But you have to wonder, why Galilee? I mean, of all the places that he could go, why would he go there? I'm thinking St. John. You'd think when he came out of his tomb, at least, he'd go somewhere much more significant, like to Pontius Pilate's headquarters and say, big mistake, Pilate, now it's payback time. Or, or why not go to Rome itself and march into the emperor's palace and say, you lose, Caesar, I alone am king of kings and lord of lords. But no. Instead, he goes back to Galilee. So what's so special about Galilee? Well, for starters, it's, it's where it all began, where the disciples first met Jesus and responded to his call. Galilee's where the disciples live and, and work and play. It's, it's where they raise their families and bury their loved ones. It's where they shop and, and go to school and, and have dinner parties with friends. It's, it's where they live their everyday, ordinary lives. Oh, we may know it as Birmingham, or Homewood, or Trustville, or Hoover, or Mountain Brook. But it's Galilee all the same. And Jesus is there waiting for us. That he might continue teaching us, and healing us, and feeding us, as he calls us once again by name to come join him and play our God-given part in his mission to save this world that he was just dying to love. That's how the rest of the story is written. When we let go of our fear and our failure and we start living with anticipation of encountering Jesus who is waiting to meet us on the road ahead. It's written. When we stop living as if these few years on earth are all there is and we start living with an eternal view. It's written when we we feed the hungry and, and serve the poor and care for those in need. It's, it's written when we view those around us as a beloved child of God for whom Jesus died. It's written when we start to view everything we have as a gift from God to be used to further His kingdom here on earth. It's written when we do everything in word or in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The ongoing story of salvation is written in your life and in my life when we believe the good news of the gospel that Christ is risen indeed and we go looking for the risen Savior in all the ordinary places of our lives bearing witness to all the extraordinary things that He is doing. But be clear, if Jesus truly is alive, and if we can no longer count on death to be the end of our story, well then that means that all the old bets are off. We can no longer live by our pre-Easter expectations. Because Jesus will not be held down by our expectations any more than He could be held in that tomb. Now, anything is possible. And that means that, that cancer and divorce are not the last word on today. Alzheimer's 
and addiction are not the last word on today. Failure and fear are not the last word on today. Even death itself is no longer the last word on today. For as the Apostle Paul writes, death has been swallowed up in victory because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And therefore, He has the last word of the story just as He had the first and He's on the move. And he's up to all kinds of holy mischief here in Galilee, where he's inviting all of us to help him write the rest of the story. And if you will keep your eyes open and learn to pay attention, there you will see him just as he told you. And that, my friends, is a reason for hope. Because there's just no telling what might happen in your life with a risen Savior on the loose. Christ is risen. Is risen Amen.